Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name is Windy, and I'm joined by our tactics guy and my Mourinho-hating friend, Nathan A. Clark. <laughs> Hello, Nathan. Hello, mate. And Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas. And to all of our listeners, actually. We're, we're obviously post-Christmas now, but um, we, we didn't get a chance to record around Christmas time. We've all been busy with family and stuff, so um, we thought we'd squeeze one in before New Year. And it might actually be two, because there's so much to talk about. Um, so it, we, it might be that we break halfway and then crack on with another episode. Uh, we'll see how we get on. Um, to start off with, Nath, we need to address uh, your negativity in the last podcast or perceived negativity because actually I didn't think it was quite as negative as, as some people felt um we did miss Bardi in the last episode to sort of uh bring us back down to earth a bit and Bardi's very pro pro Mourinho as well which would have helped um do you sort of feel slightly vindicated now given what's happened since we recorded last <laughs> Uh, a tiny bit that people were definitely like um, tweeting about it, like during the Chelsea game, saying, you know, are, are you asking that same question? Um, hey, look, uh, Christmas isn't over. It's a twelve-day event. I will be full of cheer and wearing uh, novelty clothing until January the sixth. And uh, in this period of time, you will catch only positivity from me. <laughs> I'll hold you to that one. <laughs> so, uh, on that note, uh, first question is from Unfit for Purpose. He said, "How much of the current problems with the team would you suggest are Jose Mourinho's fault?" And how much are the same squad issues we've had for ages? And I've just realised I've said Jose Mourinho. You did. I, I keep getting told about my pronunciation. It's it's really annoying me that my brain is making me say Jose Mourinho and not Jose Mourinho. It's Jose. It, actually, it's it's Jose. <laughs> but uh, in English media speak, it's Jose Mourinho. I need to stop saying Jose. Please do pick me up every time I say it. <laughs> so anyway, yes, back to Unfit for Purposes question. What's his fault and what are the same issues we've had for ages? Well, I think it is almost entirely the the same issues we've had for ages. You know, we're, we're seeing the same issues crop up under Mourinho as we've done to Pochettino, which is the issues with our midfield. Uh, and I think that actually Mourinho has done quite a lot to alleviate that. Um, to go back to last episode, my concerns about Mourinho aren't the now, aren't the short term. It's, it's the long term and, and where we will eventually end up and where we're heading as a club uh, and any sort of... Um, 
long term effects that come with Mourinho. But I think short term, you know, we've seen a um, an upturn in results um, and even performances. And we've seen him try some interesting ideas to alleviate issues and some success that way. We've we've seen um, more effort and energy for the players, better freshness from the players. Um, So I do think that, you know, I don't he doesn't have he gets more credit than blame. The blame really is is on the shape of the squad and and our issues in defensive midfield. So in actual fact, the things that are annoying us about uh, his tactics are him trying to get around the the same issues that Pochettino was trying to get around. The fact that the squad is imbalanced, that we don't have a proper midfield, that we have problems at fullback. These are all things that we've known for some time. And every tactic that he's implemented, to me, certainly seems like a, a way of trying to get around that. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah. And and again, it's it, it's not something entirely new. What we saw last season and what got us all the way to the Champions League final is if you don't have a midfield you just play over the midfield. Mm, mm. And and some of these tactics are working against some teams and some of them are clearly not. And I think the Chelsea game where we're going to start is a clear example of where it really didn't work. Um, firstly, I mean, it was interesting that Chelsea sprung a bit of a surprise by switching back to a 3-4-3. Was, were you expecting that? Uh, I wasn't totally shocked by it. I, I didn't really have it in mind, but it, it sort of, uh, well, it certainly made sense. Um, and I, I will, ex- I expect to see us come up against more back threes in the future as well as a result of that. Is that simply because it, it makes sense to counteract our formation with the, the three building from the back? Uh, I think it's, well, <clears throat> I think it's less about our, our build up shape and more about the threat over the top and, mm. and and specifically the the movement of Son and Lucas into the channels there. Lampard sort of brought it up as much on Sky and said, well, this is what I'm worried about. And then he played a back three and, huh. they, and it, and it uh, really um, shut down our threat over the top. It did. And I was very impressed with uh, Rudiger, Zuma and Tamori in that game. They pretty much, I mean, they didn't allow our front three to get any kind of foothold in the game, which stopped us having any kind of threat. Uh, but we were massively our own worst enemies in this game as well. So the big mistakes, I suppose, were uh, Aurier on the first goal, the corner that he conceded unnecessarily by getting caught under the ball. And then, you know, he was kind of talking to a teammate as the corner was taken, very slow to go out, didn't get much of a, a block in as, as Willian uh, got his shot away. Gazaniga then with an absolute moment of madness... And then Son with his red card. So all in all, not the best of days. No, uh, the corner is one where I, I would say uh, fault does lie with Mourinho because I don't think that his um, set piece set up is um, <laughs> Jesus any good anymore because uh, it's very, very man-marking focused. He had right. one or two zonal roles. And so Sergio, who is defending the near post, has to go pick up the corner taker when he combines short to run into the box. And I think that obviously Aurea is very slow on the uptake there. Um, but <laughs> as I said on Twitter, we've created a situation in which we are reliant on Sergio Aurea thinking smartly. Yeah, sure. No, I, I completely appreciate that. So a consequence of going man for man is that if a man doesn't do his job, you can potentially concede a goal. Whereas with zonal marking and, and other ways of defending corners, it's kind of a collective thing. If someone doesn't do their job, someone else can step in and cover potentially. Is that rough, pretty much what you're saying? Yeah, that's fair. And, and this is definitely an example where, where it's sort of odd because you have a player with a zonal row who is the man who was at fault for not picking up a man. Mm. Um but yeah, I don't know. I, 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 
at United, a lot of United fans specifically complained about he, uh, Mourinho's insistence on buying tall players, and that was his means of of developing a defensive corner system was just having large blokes and man marking. And one thing I would say is that in all of the games recently, Harry Kane's been a real asset mm. at defending corners, and we, we've said that in the past. It's kind of an underrated and underappreciated part of his game. He is very, very good in his own box, uh, and actually does tend to clear a, a very um, what's the word disproportionate number of corner balls in um so that's that's one good thing i suppose that you know we have got some big players who can head the ball well uh he does also have a small history of own goals from those he situations does. where you might see one of them again in the near future yeah it's possible it's possible but you you'll allow it if he's clearing the majority <laughs> i guess um I don't think we can try and explain away Gazaniga's crazy decision. So instead, what I'll do is ask Mark Lynch's question. He says, I assume everyone has now accepted that Gazaniga isn't the answer and it'll be a relief when Hugo gets back. Yeah, I mean, he's done fine. Like, he's done all right. I don't think that, he, you know, when he arrived at the club, there was huge amounts of excitement for him. Um, he, you know, well, he, he came from Gillingham, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. I mean, what, yeah. what, what are we expecting, really? Like, he wasn't young. Yeah, he, he was always a weird transfer. And I do think we probably talked about this at the time, is that he was odd. He was like, he's been brought in as a, a an understudy, but he wasn't that young and he certainly wasn't that promising. Um, so with all that in mind, he's done fine. And his... Uh, slight tendency to go for bizarre acrobatic clearances is just is whatever his shot stopping's been decent and his feet are great uh, yeah um i mean he's a backup isn't he that's it that's that's what you get from a backup you get a player who is good at some things and very not good at others and he is very 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 not good at <laughs> some things uh that that decision against chelsea was i i would say something that was probably a, a one-off it was madness mm. complete complete madness i think i've not we've seen, seen him do anything like that no, he's he's come out not maybe quite as recklessly as that before, but he he has come out a couple of times, um, like way too early, way too keenly, way too physically aggressively, um, and then also against Norwich, which obviously we'll talk about later. I think that he hmm. he was really poor for their second goal. I agree. Yeah. Um, In terms goal. of not coming out because he should have done and was reluctant because he nearly kicked someone in the face last time. Oh right. No. So I thought he was really poor for the first goal against Norwich, but uh, I'm interested to get your thoughts in a second we'll come back to that okay uh just to, just to sort of correct myself I, I mentioned he came from Gillingham what I meant was he came um he came from Southampton but he started at Gillingham so okay he, he's not a player of immense pedigree he's just sort of languished around for a while he hadn't played many games to be honest before he he, uh, he joined us um but he's not young he's he's 27 I suppose in some senses it's young for a goalkeeper but he's a backup and what we can't really expect a great deal more in my opinion and it's just really unfortunate that Hugo's got a very long-term injury that, to be honest, he might never fully recover from. So we've got a decision to make there. Um, do we want to talk about the, the racism in the Chelsea game? Or alleged racism, I should say. Nah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, it's such a difficult subject, and two white men talking about it, I feel, is probably not the best true. place to start. Um, if you know a bloke who is racist at Spurs game, and he's your mate, dob him in. And also don't be mates with him. Yes. Uh, is the obvious thing. And yeah, if I'm, I'm, I just feel, yeah, it's best we don't do this probably. Let's instead talk about the Son red card. Um, what on earth? I'm, so we've seen Son do stupid things like this yeah. before. And, it, and it re- to be honest, I love I love the man dearly, but it 
really, this really irritated me so much. It was so pathetically childish. And it wasn't even like, um, it wasn't really violent conduct. And that's why they appealed it. Because it's it's a gesture. It's not like, there's no deliberate intent to, to maim Rudiger. It's, uh, it's a gesture of annoyance to wind Rudiger up. But it's totally unnecessary. It achieved little. In fact, it achieved the opposite of what it to yeah. achieve, which was he got sent off. And and his um his shock and, and surprise at being red carded annoyed me as well because you know he's not an idiot. As soon as the referee saw, you know, as soon as we Son knew that it was being checked by VAR, he must have realised that there was a fair chance that he'd get sent off for that. And to to act so surprised was an act, really. Um, how did you feel about it? Yeah, no, I, I, you you said basically everything there. You know, you 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 could get away with those in the past and you just can't get away with them anymore because they they all review them it's sort of that like um because he does now have there are now you can claim up to three occasions where he's sort of been retroactively violent um so it is a thing now and it's like it's that sort of um nice quiet kids who's being bullied and then latches out in like (laughs) red mist sort of thing and it's just like come on dude just you know I understand that it is really frustrating to be like physically bullied all the time, and especially as like a particularly nice bloke. Um, but you have to you have to be consistent with that if you want to consider continue to be considered a nice person, basically. Yeah, yeah. He's not doing his reputation any good, no. and he's not doing the team any good. And Definitely. I hope I, I I hope he's learned his lesson this time. It's it's three matches during a crucial spell where we're playing games thick and fast, and we could have really done with his, his presence. And it's hugely irritating that he did that. Um, we've we've set Bardi some homework to talk about the Brighton game. It's possible that uh, he, he he won't do that. Um, so should we talk briefly about Brighton? Obviously, it was a much improved performance on Boxing Day, and it was quite nice actually that we we played pretty well on on Boxing Day. We were all with our families. Obviously, is a lot going on. It's a busy time of year, and to see Spurs get a result coming back was was pleasing. I thought. Uh yeah, <laughs> yep. It's good to get results. Uh, you weren't that keen on the performance. <laughs> uh, I tell what you did what, you say at the start of the podcast, Nate. I really liked it when Ericsson came on and it uh made us immediately play very well, and then we scored, and then after that we were able to lean on the manager's real strength, which is to play with a goal advantage on the counter, draw the opposition out, and be a threat in that situation. And that's what I enjoyed. That is a really uh, positive point to end on. And actually, I fully agree. I also like the fact that uh, to close the game out, we, we've not been used to closing games out for some time. He brought on Eric Dyer for, for Lucas. Mm. Uh, and it, it did exactly what it needed to do, which was thicken up the midfield, give us another body in there. And we saw it out really calmly and pretty well, I thought. Uh, so I was criticising Son for his decision making to get suspended over the Christmas period. I think I owe it to uh, Son to do the same around Winks and Sissoko, both of whom picked up stupid bookings. So Winks is one. Uh, he made two really silly challenges, which led to him having to be substituted because he was a risk of a red card. I don't think he actually touched the player in either challenge. So you could question whether a booking was fair, but certainly there were reckless tackles and again, needless tackles. They're both of them on the touchline, like the guys going nowhere. Just don't do that. And then Sissoko, we're ahead in the game. It's a few minutes to go and he just loses his head and starts trying to fight someone. What was that? Where did that come from? We, there's, I was expecting some kind of follow-up, where, some sort of story, some sort of yeah. replay, but it's just like, I don't know. I don't he just get got it. angry. 
uh, yeah, I think the cameras saw uh, picked up Wink saying something like, "Am I suspended?" when he came off, and it's like, "Yeah, you're suspended because you did that." You know, just don't do that. It was very annoying. Anyway, we're going to be positive. <laughs> uh, no, Lacelso, I thought made a big difference. You mentioned Ericsson. I thought Lacelso made a big, big difference against Brighton. He he wanted the ball. He took it in tight spaces. He was getting it out of his feet quickly. He was finding passes. He was zipping it about. It wasn't always perfect, but uh, I liked the the signs that he showed against Brighton. I was very encouraged. And then, like you say, Ericsson came on and really uh, looked a class above in, in the Brighton game and made a big difference to the team, which was, which was very pleasing. So there were some positives and hopefully Bardi has got a few things to say about the Brighton game as well. So we'll go on to talk about Norwich. I got really excited when I saw the team selection. Did you, did you feel initially excited as well? Um, <laughs> I was a bit more dubious about that midfield actually working. Mm. Um, mm. I don't, it, it was, it was definitely, yeah, it was exciting because it was that gamble because it was, well, this is something different and interesting. And if this were to work, wow, uh, what a situation we may well find ourselves if, if this, if this was to, to really function as a midfield. So there was some excitement there and definitely some surprise as well. I was, I was definitely expecting Eric Dyer to start this game. Um, so there was there was excitement, but there wasn't like a finally this is the midfield I've been calling for <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah, no, that's that's fair. Um, that that I think I was excited because I saw all of the the names of our new players <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> on the pitch at once, and then like ten minutes later, I, I tweeted a follow up, which was like actually <laughs> little concerned about the midfield here. Basically, I wanted to tweet why isn't Eric Dyer starting, but I knew I'd get a load of responses saying because he's been rubbish recently. It's like mm-hmm. well, that's not really the point. Like <laughs> yeah. he he has been like he has been objectively quite poor in possession, I would say, but he's also been an important presence in midfield that like we said before does things that kind of go under the radar that are really important primarily because no one else is doing them like if we had another player that could do some of those things then we wouldn't need Eric Dyer but we don't so we do um when your goalkeeper is Gazaniga and he comes out with a reckless high foot clearance for a ball he could have caught you don't then play the next game to no goalkeeper <laughs> yeah quite Quite, I agree. Um, yeah, so 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 after the initial excitement of seeing the team sheet, there was a, a bit of concern. I would say that uh, concern was exacerbated after the first sort of five ten minutes of the game, and Norwich did start particularly well. Uh, we were very sloppy though. The whole of the first half though, we were we were really sloppy. And um, what did we do tactically in this game, Nathan? Um, we opted to play through the midfield a little more, but still played over the top a, a fair amount as well. Uh, we wanted to press and be pressed. We wanted to play sort of an open... I think we wanted to play a technical game, but I think it was more physical than maybe we were anticipating. Um, yeah, I, I think we, we wanted to um, compete with, with Norwich in, in, a, in a rounded football sense. Yeah, I feel like if we were attempting to do that, we very much lost the battle, particularly in the first half. The second half is a different story, but we started off playing wing-backs, which we had also against Brighton with Sessegnon in the team. So we've got a 5-3-2, we've got Sessegnon left, we've got Aurier right, we've got a back three of Foyf this time, Alderweireld and Vertonghen. Our midfield consists of Ndombele as the deepest line player, and then Eriksen and Lacelso alongside Ndombele. Neither are real physical presences, both have um, 
one eye on getting the ball forward. And as Russ Wagstaff says, why pick a midfield of three predominantly attacking or possession-based players and then lump the ball over the head of the top mm. of them for the first 45 minutes? That did seem to be an issue. There's a lot of long ball. Yep. Why is that a reaction to Norwich's press in midfield or is that a strategy? Yeah, so I, I uh, yes, there's sort of the so like we saw against Burnley where it works really well, where you start by playing a little bit of neat football in a deep area, you draw the opposition out because they're a pressing team, and then you play over the top. Um, so there's an element of that, but there's also an element of that's just the way that we play generally now, and that is what is be, being increasingly drilled into the players on an unconscious level is that that we play long as soon as there's half a chance to do so. Okay, um, so so one guy didn't try to play long. Uh, actual sizes? Do you think that's it for Foy? Can't see Jose putting up <laughs> with nonsense like that. Loan to Spain in January. The Liga seems way more suited to his skill set as a CB. Uh, so that was one of many questions about Foy. A lot of people were very, very angry about him making what they saw as the same mistake that he's made before, um, and basically saying he's not up to it. I, I've got quite a lot to say on this, but what did you make of that uh, that first goal that Norwich scored and Foy's involvement in it? Yeah, I mean, it was poor from him to an extent. And that's just what you get with a player of his type. Um, if you remember, this conversation was had about John Stones every day for about three years. Um, it, there are rumours that he's now looking away from the club. It would be a shame if we lost him. I mean, he's obviously a very talented player, despite the frustrations. Which absolutely, None of the centre-backs came off well in this game, I don't think. Uh, maybe Davinson. Um, uh, Mourinho had some positive things to say about him after um, which game? After the cup game. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I wouldn't say, well, that's it, he's done, it's over. Um, but it, it wasn't a great occasion for him, was it? It wasn't. But I, I, I feel like... Um, so I feel like there's a big issue in that uh, Mourinho won't be happy with the fact that Foyth tried something which potentially wasn't in keeping with, with the tactics that we were trying to employ in this game. I'm also... The fact that he was withdrawn at half-time shows to me that Mourinho was scared about keeping Foyth on the pitch. I would say that the situation where Foyth made that mistake, I don't think he had a lot of choice but to try and take the ball into midfield. I think the thing that went wrong was the first touch. I feel like the decision was the right decision. I feel like the first touch is what let him down. Sure. Uh, I also feel, and I don't think this has been picked up by many people, but I've seen a few people say on Twitter, that Puki uh, obstructed Foy. So he lost the ball to Buendia. It was a really good tackle by Buendia, yep. who's, who's a great little player. Uh, Puki then obstructed Foy as he tried to recover it. Uh, that got missed by everyone. Whether it's a foul or not, I don't know. But, I, it, you know, it's deliberate. It's a foul by the rules, but it is very rarely considered a foul in practice. And I am personally in favour of considering it not a foul. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, I'd also say that where we lost the ball was like five yards from the halfway line. Yeah. That should not automatically result in a goal. And to then like give Foyth 100% of the blame for losing the ball near enough on the halfway line, is I, that doesn't sit that comfortably with me. I think you need to look at the structure of the team uh, and the defending post Foyth losing the ball, uh, as well as the loss of possession, which was a, a mistake. And don't don't get me wrong, I'm not I'm not trying to defend Foyth um, without any criticism. I, what I'm saying is Foyth made a mistake. His touch was heavy. It was a bad, really bad touch. And he, he shouldn't have done that, obviously. But let's consider what happened after that. So the main thing for me uh, is that the shot came from the edge of the box. It's, it's like a couple of yards to Gazaniga's right. 
He's very slowed down to it, and he should keep it out. He, he should keep that out. That's the shot that Lloris saves every time, in my opinion. Uh, it was very poor goalkeeping. Uh, lots of people have, have questioned Toby Alderweireld's decision-making as well, because he backed off. What, did, you, did you have a view on that, Nath? I think that Alderweireld is, might be the best 1v1 defender in the world. Um, there, there was a vague sense of that, sort of like um, abandoning the player on the board to defend all his passing mm. options thing. Mm. But he tends to lean into that and then make the, the last second um, dive across. And he obviously attempted to make that, but but failed. But I think he cut off the angle well. So if you combine the idea that Gazaniga should have done a lot better, um, you can say that Alavero has put the keeper in a situation where he should have done better. Right. Um, but I I I think that um, it look the I disagree with, with 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 what you're saying. I think that essentially as soon as the turnover happened, we were we were fucked because um, although we had Spurs players like near the action they were all behind the ball no one got really back to relieve Alderweireld of one of his several tasks so even though there were Spurs plays in the box if there was to be like a second ball or anything it for me it was essentially Alderweireld versus like three or four Norwich players okay that's fair enough that's fair enough and and if we follow that argument to its logical conclusion then Foyth was stupid to even attempt to dribble because there weren't enough players back to cover the loss of potential loss of possession yes but you have to take risks and Foyth is a risky player. The risk-reward ratio with Foyth... That's what you get. Yeah, exactly, exactly. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mourinho took Foyth off at halftime. He also took off for Tonkin. And if we're saying that he took off Foyth as almost like a punishment or a, a fear that he might do something similar again, then you could say the same potentially about Vertonghen with what happened with the disallowed Pookie goal. I I would I would prefer to be more forgiving with that. I think if you look at the other halftime substitutes we've made under Mourinho, including this one, something that he's done very very well is that we've essentially improved after every halftime yes. sub. Um, so I think you can, you know, we, you were especially were very careful to say when Eric Dyer was brought off against Olympiakos for Ericsson, that wasn't a punishment for Eric Dyer. Mm, that mm. was a tactical improvement and it worked. And I think we saw not to the same extent, but we saw something similar here where our second half performance was better after we adjusted the shape, adjusted the roles, adjusted the personnel rather than it being, well, Foyth and Vertonghen are shit, get them off and get whoever else on. I mean, I agree, but then he wouldn't have necessarily needed to have brought Sanchez on. He could have left either Foyth or Vertonghen on the pitch. That's true. I, I, so, um, 
how does Davinson differ from Foyt rather than just on a mm. good bad mm. scale is that Davinson is much better defending space in behind and Foyt is much better um, building the ball from the back so if he felt that the situation was that okay we're able to get the ball into midfield where we have technical players but our problem is that we're being turned over and uh, Norwich are attacking the space in behind then this player makes more sense than this player you know that and that's regardless of the fact that Foyt had played badly in that game which you know that's just another factor that, that plays into no, that. that makes sense I think um, it's fair to say that Sanchez has considerable more pace than both Foyth and Vertonghen for kind of mopping things up in behind he's also probably a bit more of an aggressive front foot defender than, than both in a way as well I'd say perhaps not Foyth but um, he's quick he's quick to the ball he's quick to read situations which actually um, perhaps is what led to their second goal so Sanchez came out to um, battle with, with Puki. I thought he made a poor decision there. He he came out quite a long way, quite rashly, and I don't think he was ever going to get the ball there. Um, what did you make of the second goal? You, met, you uh, mentioned earlier that you thought Gazaniga was at fault for that one. Yeah, so if you watch the replay, Gazaniga starts to come out and then panics and changes his mind and backs up and then comes back out again, And at which point the ball sails underneath him. Um, right. So I, I do think he could do that. Like I think Lloris would have had that ball on the edge of the box. Right. Um, but that's a very high standard to hold a player to. Um, I I think that goal stems from failing to pressure earlier passes rather than the actions of the defenders themselves. Fair enough. And I, I think it's really harsh to sort of blame Aurier for that goal. It's something coming at him really quickly. Um, yeah, he didn't get his feet organised. He perhaps could have been quick around in the cover. Oh, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. You know. Or, or an Alderweireld. Sort of I, I don't yeah. think that's... Yeah, I, I, I don't like um, always blaming players for goals. And what I was going to say with the first goal, actually, was that what we should be saying is what an effective press it was from Norwich, because not only did Buendia win the yep. ball, but they poured forward like three or four bodies, which made Alderweireld's life very difficult, because it's like, who do I who do I go with here? Um, so you, you, sometimes you do just have to appreciate uh, good attacking play. Um, in the second half in this Norwich game, I thought we were excellent... Did you like our performance? Uh, I wouldn't go so far as excellent, but yes, I did. I I think that's been some of our stronger football this season. Definitely. And what was it about that that you um you, you thought made it our strongest football? Um, <laughs> we consistently held the ball in the final third for extended period of times, despite taking okay. risks. And that came because we had Christian Eriksen and Tongi Ndombele playing really well in midfield. Basically, yeah, I think that um, there's a case for like Norwich had sort of sli- uh, tired or in terms of defending either both the lead and then the draw and aspects of that. But um, yeah, if you put technically capable players in midfield, they, they move the ball well and, and creatively and, and what a game in Dombele He had. was magnificent. Um I, I, I got a bit overexcited after the game and I, I said on Twitter that it was like a 9 out of 10 performance. I don't think it was in hindsight. I think I think I overcompensated for the fact that he was asked to do a job by himself. It doesn't necessarily mm. come naturally to him. Um, I think, personally, if we'd brought Dyer on at half-time instead of Lucas and freed up and Dombele to play a bit further forward, I think we'd have won the game. It's it's surprising that we didn't see that. Like it was surprising that Dai didn't start, and it was even more surprising that um, that Mourinho stuck with that idea. And I and given Mourinho's um, tactical honesty, I I would really like to know what he has to say mm. about not bringing in a defensive midfielder into that game, um, because I'm sure there is an interesting answer. And to it's that. not just. Um... 
like some people would say perhaps I, I, I don't know maybe this is a straw man but uh, you know we, we didn't need a defensive midfielder because we were on the front foot and I kind of on, in one sense appreciate that but Ndombele was playing deeper be, deeper because of our need to have someone back there and Dyer could have done that role allowing Ndombele to roam further forward he was fantastic when he went forward and what I really love about him is his ability to turn his man with like a, a hip swivel um, I think he does that like even better than Moussa Dembele I, 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 I feel like I've never seen a player do this like turn his man as easily and as often as Tongi Ndombele does he is such a talent he, it's his passing as well isn't it he's, he's a very incisive crisp passer of the ball and it's, it's lovely to watch yeah, uh, just to go back to the previous point, I would say that you never need a defensive midfielder more than when you are attacking and controlling mm. and in the ascendancy. That's very true, because you need someone to, to snuff out the danger and then restart quickly, recycle the ball and restart the counter-attack. That's, um, That's exactly it. Yeah, You were always attacking when you were defending and you were always defending when you were attacking. That's a very good point. Um, one other point about the Norwich game I wanted to make was the question over... The, so so our goal, Ericsson's goal from the free kick, um, am I right in saying that came from the Jamal Lewis incident? Yes, it did, didn't it? Where, where the yes. ball's played over the top to Harry Kane. He looks like he's about to run through on goal. Jamal Lewis sticks a hand up. He knows he's not going to get to the ball. He sticks a hand up and he basically punches it away. It's, it's something similar to what Kyle Walker-Peters did in the League Cup game a couple of years ago, uh, which gave away a penalty. Um, the difference is this wasn't in the box. It was outside the box. But here, here is what the laws of the game say. A player, a substitute or substituted player who commits any of the following offences is sent off, denying the opposing team a goal or an obvious goal-scoring opportunity by a handball offence. Now, for me, that is denying a goal, an obvious goal-scoring opportunity, primarily because the ball is going to land at the feet of a striker. Now, whether he he um, controls that first time or not is like a subjective guess, isn't it? It's like, we can all say, yes, a, pl- a player might control or not control a ball, but the ball isn't like a difficult one to control. It's it's curling into the into the path of the striker, and he'll be one-on-one with the goalkeeper. I honestly feel that Jamal Lewis should have been sent off for that, and I was really surprised that VAR didn't do something about it. And that's that's the bit that annoys me. It's not that he wasn't sent off um, by the referee; it's that VAR didn't check it. Did you? I, like, I don't think it even got checked by VAR, right? Uh, I guess we wouldn't necessarily know. It's, I, it wasn't referenced in commentary. No, I think so. The the referee gave the free kick for the handball and there was no contradiction to the to what the referee saw only on the judgment call of whether or not it could have been a a red and I don't think that that is where VAR step in they might say you know in that play there was a foul but did he go with his studs to make it a red there isn't a a consultation on whether or not a handball should be considered a red card okay so I firstly I don't think the referee was going to give anything and then Harry Kane lost his shit and (laughs) the referee then gave a free kick (laughs) I mean, Kane and Lacelso were indicating immediately this is like a Esterham ball, and Kane was really annoyed that Lewis wasn't sent off. Like when the yellow card was being brandished, Kane was basically saying, "What are you doing? This is I was about to score. This is a red card." Like I feel like Kane put a, a suitable amount of pressure on the referee. Like I would have expected our captain to be mm. doing that at that point. Um, it, I think it was it was so real. It was so honest it was. because because of his like goal obsession. It wasn't the like trying to force the referee with like coercive behavior. It wasn't. It was like so genuine a plea <laughs> that it like yeah. it read as honest because it was. And for me, that is what annoys me even more because. Kane's making a fuss about it 
there's obviously a to-do a to on the pitch about this decision. Like, for me, VAR should be looking at that straight away and saying, has there been a clear and obvious mistake by the referee? In my opinion, yes, because it's going to be a goal-scoring opportunity. And therefore, it's a record. I, I don't... I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm, I'm, maybe I'm going overboard about a decision which is 50-50. But so I, it seemed I like an that, obvious one to me. I think that one thing that VAR has, has done, and... and it's right to pick up a lot of flack but it's also picking up a lot of flack for exposing the fact that the rules are terribly written and the refereeing of them is completely separate from what is actually written on the paper and wildly inconsistent um and 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 this is a strong case of like what does a goal scoring opportunity mean because any time a player is facing towards the goal in the final third is a goal scoring opportunity right? right um there's like a soft sort of um, inference of like the expected goal kind of mm, mindset here. It's mm. like, it was there going to be a clear chance? And like, um, if a player hasn't controlled the board, do we need to turn to expected threats, which is like a bit of an obscure metric? Yeah, it's it's all over the place and it's, it's a mess. What is a goal scoring opportunity? Um, are you not denying a goal scoring opportunity every time you make a tactical foul? If you're, you know, for the big example being Manchester City, people like to pick up on their... Um, tactical fast but we do a lot of them ourselves as well um yeah i don't know the rules are a they mess. are and aside from um the, what's been the most controversial point of, of the implementation of var is the offside rule and the, the margin <laughs> for error and the decision making being based upon like an error prone <laughs> situation like the thing that annoys me the most is the fact that var has changed referees behaviors in that they are giving less and then not overturning the ones that are not given. Yeah. And I think that is dumbing down refereeing standards even more. Like, this was brought in to protect referees. It's not doing that, and it's now dumbing down refereeing standards and we're getting worse, more poorly refereed games than ever before. Um, and this game, I thought, was a, a, a really poorly refereed game. And it was Kevin Friend, the referee. I don't like to I don't have a go at refs all the time because I think they've got a really mm. difficult job um, but he, in my opinion, he made quite a lot of significant errors in this game, and I didn't like his general performance. Like he was, um, he was finicky about things he didn't need to be finicky about, and he let things go that he shouldn't have done. And this situation for me was was one that that wound me up. Anyway, Nate, we've got so many more questions, and I think you should read out his home address on the podcast yeah. first before you move on. Yeah. <laughs> um, what we'll do, we'll we'll pause there, and we'll record a part two with your questions and some chat about the transfer window. You've been listening to The Extra Inch. Thanks to Nathan A. Clark for production. Thanks to Barney for being Italian. Thanks to Adam Gardner for the artwork. Thanks to David Lindner for our intro music. You can find him on Twitter at Davy Shambles and his SoundCloud, D. Lindner. Do check him out. He's great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review. That would really help. the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.